mature love. I did not say mature audiences. I don't want you to get the wrong impression that I'm going to talk about love for those who are adults and mature. No, that's not the goal of this message. This message is for those who are old and young, those who are adults and children, those who are in between. Mature love is indeed the subject of our text that was just read. That's what these verses are all about. The idea of mature love is a love that is complete, a love that is developed. Uh, It's not a childish love, but it's a grown-up love. To put it another way, it's a love that reaches its intended goal. And the intended goal for love for the Christian is that we would love God and that we would also love his people. This is the kind of love that God wants every child of God to have. God wants us to have a mature love. It's the kind of love that John has been talking about throughout this epistle. Every chapter of this book talks about love. And particularly as we come to the end of chapter 4, John once again speaks of love. He has said in chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. That's the exhortation that John issues to each and every one of his readers. Let us love one another. And over and over and over again, John has stressed this idea. He's approached it from different angles. But the point that he is trying to get to each and every one of us who call ourselves children of God is that love life is to be prominent for every one of us as a Christian. So here John is one more time. He gets an opportunity to drill home to us the message of love. And this time, he's not issuing any commands. He's not mandating. He's not even describing. He wants us to see the benefits of loving one another. He wants us to see the benefits of being, of having a mature love. That's his angle. And he believes that if we see the benefits, the blessings of a mature love, that will drive us and motivate us, along with the other things that he has said, to love one another. And so as we come to this text, I want us to see three benefits of mature love. And the first benefit of mature love is boldness. Boldness in the day of judgment. This benefit introduced to us in verse 17. John wants us to grab hold of a particular thought. He says in that verse that 
Love is perfected with us. And I just want us to stop for a moment and pause and think on that. Love is perfected with us. He is saying to his readers that what is true of them is also true of him, that there has been a time in their Christian life that love reached its intended goal, that they were committed and are committed to loving one another. And John says when that happens, that love is perfected. He talks about love in kind of a unique way. Uh, in this passage, he attaches the word perfect to love. Not to suggest that we will never fail in our love for one another. Not to suggest that we reach a certain point and can go no further. But as I said er- earlier, he's speaking of a mature love, a developed love, a love that has grown and gotten to the place where it consistently manifests itself the way that God wants it to manifest itself in our lives. God wants us to continue in love. He wants us to abide in love. And when that's a reality in our relationship with God, then it can be said of us that we abide in God and God abides in us. As I said last Sunday, that is a description of the most intimate, personal relationship that a person can have with God. What describes the very essence And the heart of being a Christian is not just the term Christian, not just the term disciple, but but, but what really brings out the fullness of what it means to be in the family of God, what it is that God wants for you and what he wants for me is that each and every one of his children would have an intimate, personal relationship with the God of heaven and earth. And John says you can know that you have that kind of relationship. And how can you know? You abide in love. When you abide in love, God abides in you, you abide in God. It's mutual indwelling, it's mutual fellowship. It doesn't get any better, it doesn't get any closer or intimate than that. And John is saying, when we continue in love, then love has reached its intended goal in your life and my life. We have not a baby love, not a childish love, but we have a mature love. We have a love that has been perfected and stays perfected and manifests itself in love toward one another. But there's more. When John talks about this mature love, he wants us to know that a result of mature love is boldness, confidence in the day of judgment. Without a blink of an eye, 
John brings up the day of judgment. Evidently, he doesn't need to prepare his readers for the phrase. He doesn't have to give them any information about it. They know exactly what John means when he says the day of judgment. Our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, spoke about a future day of judgment. In Matthew 10, 15, he said, Truly I say to you, will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. That city that has seen his miracles and turned its back on it and refused those miracles. Jesus said it's going to be more tolerable in the day of judgment. There's going to be a day of judgment. The writer of Hebrews believed and wrote about judgment day. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, the writer of Hebrews says, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once. That's the statement of the Bible. You and I have an appointment, a divine appointment. And that appointment is to die. We will die once. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. But but he doesn't end it there. He says it's been appointed to men to die once, and after this comes judgment. Our, Our world doesn't want to hear that. Many human beings live their life as if there is no reality of judgment day. We we, we take death, try to push it out of our minds, but we also want to push judgment day out of our minds. We don't like the idea that we have to be held accountable for how we've lived. We don't want to be held accountable for our actions. It doesn't matter. It's been appointed to you and to me to die once and then the judgment. Our world is like the man named Felix, uh, who was preached to by Paul. In Acts 24, verse 25, I love that verse because my first name and my last name is in the Bible. Acts 24, verse 25, it says, and as he, that is Paul, was discussing righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, go away. For the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. Felix didn't want to deal with the reality of judgment. Paul, shut up. I don't want to hear any more of this. Go away for a later time. That's the way we are. Some of us are sitting here today in church. We don't want to hear about judgment. We don't want to hear about the reality that we will have to give an account to God. But as John is writing to these Christians, he doesn't blink an eye. He doesn't go into a long discourse. 
He talks about the reality of the day of judgment. That men and women, boys and girls, will be held accountable. The Bible speaks of different types of judgment. In Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, there's a great white throne judgment. Jesus Christ is the judge. Everyone who is a part of that judgment scene is cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. If you are part of the great white throne judgment, that means you have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you will give an account of that, and God will punish you on the basis of how you have lived your life as you spend eternity in the lake of fire. There's another judgment. Paul speaks of it in Romans 14, verse 10, and 2 Corinthians 5, 10. He calls it the judgment seat of Christ. It's for believers only. It's not to determine whether we're going to heaven or not. It's to determine rewards. And in that judgment, believers will have to give an account. John doesn't tell us what judgment he's thinking of. He's just talking about the reality of the day of judgment. My friends, there is a day of judgment. The day of judgment. I don't know how it's going to look like in your exact life. But it's a reality. And John says that those who have a mature love, those who are loving their brothers and sisters in Christ by the enablement of the Holy Spirit, they will have boldness in the day of judgment as they stand before God and have to give an account. There will be these individuals who have a mature love who can stand before God and they can have boldness and confidence they don't have to do what we read about in 1 John 2.28 where it speaks of shrinking away in shame at the coming of Jesus. Some of you are glad Jesus didn't come last night. And some of us realize that when Jesus comes, it can be a time where we don't shrink away, that we're not ashamed. But instead, there's a boldness, there's a confidence, there's an openness. We're not bragging, we're not boasting, but we stand before God having confidence and assurance. And one of the blessed benefits of mature love of loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Not talking about it, not hearing about it, but actually doing it. So that you are continuing in love, that you are abiding in love. One of the blessed benefits of that is that you will have confidence in that future day when you stand before God. You don't have to shrink away in shame. John says at the end of that verse, verse 17, the reason why we can have this confidence is because as he, that is Christ, is, so also we are in the world. That's how we live our lives as Christians. We don't mimic, so to speak, each other. 
we mimic the Lord Jesus Christ. As he is, so we are in this world. Imitators, followers, mimics of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one that Christ is being formed in. So the first benefit of mature love is boldness, confidence in the day of judgment. The second benefit of mature love is banishment of fear. Fear. Three statements are made about fear in verse 18. And the first statement is that fear and love are incompatible. The the, the two are opposites. To put it in the words of John in verse 18, there is no fear in love. You can take love and put it under the microscope. You can take love and put it through the x-ray machine and you're not going to find any trace at all of fear. Recently, when my wife and I were in the airport in Eugene, Oregon, and you know how it is at LAX, you almost have to get naked to walk through to find out there's nothing on you. But, but this machine, leave your shoes on. Leave your belt on. Got stuff in your pocket, no big deal. Because this thing could detect anything. Well, if we took love and put it through this machine, it would detect that there is no fear. Those two are opposites. Those two cannot overlap at all. Also, fear is bounced by love. I'm picking up the imagery of being a bouncer. Some of you know something about that. You used to hang out in clubs, and there was a bouncer there. His responsibility to keep people out who aren't supposed to be in. That's what love does. Love is a bouncer. As John says, love, perfect love, casts out fear. Mature love, that, that love that is developed and grown up, that love that is demonstrated to brothers and sisters in Christ, that love that is consistent in our walk with God, that love serves as a bouncer. That love will not lo- allow fear to enter into a person's life. That love, as John says, throws fear out on its butt. It just doesn't exist. Now, when he talks about fear, you got to understand he's not talking about godly fear. On Wednesday night, we spent some 10 to 12 weeks talking about fearing the Lord. Those who love God are to fear God. They are to reverence him. They are to be in awe of him. They are to have a holy sense of dread of him. Don't take him lightly. But that's not the fear that John is talking about here. John is talking about the fear of punishment, the fear of dread, the the fear of the idea that I'm going to be cast into a lost eternity. And, And he lets us know that the reason why love throws out fear, kicks out fear, expels fear, is because 
fear involves punishment. There is a sense that when you think about fear as it relates to the future, you are tormented, you agonize because you don't know what the future holds for you unless you are a child of God. If I was an unsaved person, I would cringe at the thought of Judgment Day. I would hide and try to do all that I could to to get that thought away from me. Because Judgment Day for the unbeliever be a time of punishment, be a time where you're devastated. But for the Christian, and not just for the Christian, but for the Christian who is practicing love, love throws out fear. It casts it out. And so John ends up saying the third thing, that fear, the presence of fear, means love has not been perfected. If you're tormented, if you're devastated, if you're troubled about the future day of judgment, it means that your love has not been perfected. It has not grown. It's not developed. It has not matured. And that's why John speaks of an individual. At the very end, he says, the one who fears is not perfected in love. Fear is rampant in our world. I'm sure if I were to come to each and every one of you, you have some kind of phobia. You have some kind of fear. See my sister back there. She has a fear of heights. (laughs) I got a fear of heights, but she's got it worse than I do. Uh, Some people have a fear of being closed in, claustrophobia. They can't, no, this is enough space for them, but they can't be in an elevator. All kind of fears. Some people, it's spiders, it's snakes. But for the Christian who is living a life of love, there is no fear of punishment. There is no fear of judgment because of love itself bouncing out that fear. The third benefit of mature love is brotherly love. Brotherly love and mature love go together. And I realize when a person reads reads verses 19 through 21, They don't read about perfect love. There's no mention of love being perfected or love is perfected, but it's there. If you look closely at the text, it's there. And particularly, you find it in the very first word of verse 19. When John says, we love, the we that he's referring to is himself. And his apostolic buddies and friends and the people that he's writing to, Christians, 
whom he assumed are living a life of love, who are continuing love and abiding in love. And he says, we love. And when he says we, he's talking about himself and others in contrast to those individuals he just mentioned at the end of verse 18. Those individuals that he just mentioned where he said, the one who fears is not perfected in love. There's those individuals, but we, and the implication is, we have been perfected in love. Love has reached its intended goal in our lives. And because love has done that, we love. That's what is characteristic of our life. We love. We love God and we love others. But the thing that we need to understand is that brotherly love happens because God loved. Brotherly love happens. It takes place because God loved. We love because he first loved us. That's the reason. You and I can't do this love thing on our own. We can't live this love life in our own strength, our own ability. We must be born again. We must depend upon the Spirit of God. We must go to the source of love, God. So he says, we love. And the reason why we love is because he loved. He loved. And that's a marvelous truth, what John is saying here. The one who loves can rest assured of having experienced God's love. If you are consistently, faithfully loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, John says you can count on the fact that God has loved you. We need to take these words and personalize it. He loved us, yes. But he loved me. He loved me. He loved you. It's not some broad, general idea. But but it's the reality that he loved me. He loved you. And as John writes these words, he's really not writing to you and me particularly. He's writing to his readers and he's letting them know because you're living a life of love, it can be said of you that in the past, God has loved you. God has sent his only begotten son into the world that you might live through him. God has sent his only begotten son to be the sacrifice for your sins. God has sent his son to be the savior of the world. God has sent his son and saved you. He loves me. He loves you. And we need to grab hold of that. 
And, and I know I'm talking to the majority of you who are Christians. But you don't believe that God loves you. You hear it. But you say, if God loved me, why was I sexually abused? If God loved me, why did I grow up dirt poor? If God loved me, why don't I know who my father is? If God loves me, if he loved me, why is it that I'm lonely as a Christian? If God loved me, why am I unfulfilled? And not satisfied because I don't have a mate. There are things that have happened in our life that we can't fully understand. And sometimes when we look at them, we question whether God loved us. But typically when we look at love, we look at it from our selfish point of view. We expect God to love us the way that we think we should be loved. And we need to understand that God will love us on his own terms. And you can count on it. You can rest assured on it that he will love you for your very, very best. And he will cause all things to work together for good. I can't promise you that it's going to be an easy life. I can't promise my granddaughter as she comes into this world and lives that bad things won't happen to her. But I can promise her that God loves her. He loves her. And if you ever forget that he loves you, go back to the cross. Go back to the cross. And you don't have to just go back to the cross. Go back to your own salvation. Go back and look at your life. We love because he first loved us. Brotherly love happens because God loved. Brotherly love flows from loving God. That's what John says in verse 20. That the reason why brotherly love takes place is because we love God. John brings up a hypothetical situation, talking about love. He says there's an individual, Mr. Anyone or Mrs. Someone. And he or she says, I love God. (laughs) Anything more significant that you can say? I love God. And this, this person, this hypothetical individual, probably says it not only with words, but probably with their life. I love God. I'm a preacher of his word. I love God. I'm a deacon, our deaconess. I love God. I teach Sunday school or children's church. I, I love God. That's why I come to the worship service. That's why I give to the church. I love God. And a person can say that with words or with actions. 
But, but, but the evaluation is the person says that and yet hates his brother. Hates his brother. I love God, <laughs> but you I hate. If you think this is not a problem for us, keep this in mind. I love God and I enslave a fellow image bearer. We have people in the history of America who, who, who proclaimed, had orthodoxy, said, I love God. And own slaves. I, I, I love God. And I'm willing to kill a baby in my womb. I, I, I love God. But I care nothing about the baby that comes out of your womb. I love God. And I don't want to have anything to do with you because you look different than me. Liar, 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 John says. John says, how can you not love your brother whom you have seen and you don't love God? How do how can you love your brother? How do you not love your brother whom you have seen and you don't love God whom you have seen? Let me say it again because I messed it up. How can a person say, I love God and they haven't seen God and God is way out there, so to speak, but they hate their brother whom they have seen? It's just not possible, John says. That's not my verdict. That's not my evaluation. John says that at the end of verse 20. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Cannot, it is an utter impossibility. So love, brotherly love happens because God loves. Brotherly love flows from loving God. The final thing that John says in verse 21 is that brotherly love is a commandment. So he says, this commandment we have from him, from God, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. You've heard it put another way in Matthew, in Mark chapter 12, verses 30, uh, 28 through 34, when Jesus dialogues with the man about the greatest commandment. Uh, he says the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Vertical love. But the second commandment, just as important, love your brother, as you love yourself. And so John has come full circle. 
He began in verse 7 of chapter 4, exhorting his reader, love one another. And now he comes and reminds them, this is the commandment that you have from God, that if we love God, if we love God, we should love our brothers also. The blessings of mature love. What are they? First of all, it's boldness in the day of judgment. Don't have to have your knees knocking. Don't have to think about running away in shame, but having confidence and boldness in that future day of judgment. And all of us will experience a day of judgment, believers and unbelievers. A second benefit is the banishment of fear. Perfect love casts out fear, the idea of punishment, the idea of judgment. And then the final benefit is brotherly love. Love that has been perfected, love that is perfect, love that has been developed will manifest itself in not only loving God, but loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. And John hopes that knowing these benefits, that you will leave the doors of this church, go out of them, and that you will love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us once again of your love for us. Despite the things that have gone on in our life, the things that have happened, we can never ever question the fact that you loved us. And for those of us who are your children, you continue to love us. You continue to pour your love out on us each and every day. But Father, the, the, the message is not so much about loving you. Uh, we should. When we think about all that you've done for us, we should love you. But as your word tells us, if you have loved us in this way, we ought to love one another. Your great love toward us ought to move us and motivate us, Father, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us by your spirit to do exactly that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.